by the powers vested in me by the Federal Communications Commission, I command you to get on the microphone in a serious manner and continue this broadcast. I am so tempted. Rise and shine, campers! Don't forget to put your boots on. It's cold out there. Oh, it's cold out there. Welcome to Groundhog Day at Cairo Nights, everybody. I hope you had a very pleasant Thursday. A very pleasant Groundhog Day. I think Groundhog Day, the movie, 30 years ago, by the way, the 30th anniversary of Groundhog Day. 1993, Bill Murray, Andy McDowell, right? Is that her name? Andy McDowell? And that's really it. I mean, yeah. Um, oh, what's his name? The guy under the stairs from from David Letterman's show. It's uh, Bob and Doug McKenzie. Not Bob and Doug McKenzie. Um, Bob and Ray, were, one of them is his dad. What's his name? The The guy who played the driver. Groundhog Day. Come on, Spike. You used to be good at this. You used to be good at useless information. Christopher something. I'll look it up real quick. Anyway, that's it. You know, that's really, there's nobody else in that movie of note. There are a few other randos. Ned Ryerson. You know, that guy's done some stuff. But other than that, it's just Bill Murray living out the same day. I mean, we all know the story of Groundhog Day. Bill Murray is a piece of work, conceited, an egomaniac, thinks he's better than the job he holds. He's a weatherman in Pittsburgh, and he has to go to Punxsutawney, which he despises. It's beneath him. And because he's such a schmuck, he wakes up the next day and, of course, the same, oh, way to go, guys, played yesterday's tape, except People are still heading toward Gobbler's Knob and everything's happening again. And he thinks he's just, you know, okay, that was weird. That was a weird sense of deja vu. Day three, boom, music starts. I think Groundhog Day is probably one of the most original movies of all time. And I, I watched it today. That's what I do. Every Groundhog Day. I own it, by the way. Never got to meet Bill Murray to get it signed. I got a lot of movies at home that are signed by the stars over the course of my radio career. I've had a chance to meet uh, various uh, celebrities. Chris Elliott, that's his name, Chris Elliott. But never got a chance to meet Bill Murray, my hero. A little sidebar on me, Matt, and why Bill Murray is important in my life and my career. When I was uh, brand new to radio, when I was a complaint caller to Bob Rivers' morning show in Baltimore and uh, made enough of an impression on Bob Rivers and his partner that when they decided to leave Seattle for, oh, excuse me, leave Baltimore for a new gig in, in a new city, they asked me to go with them. Weren't sure where we were even going yet. Looked at jobs in uh, San Francisco, Minneapolis, a few other cities, and Seattle. Took the gig in Seattle. Moved here. The first... God, I don't even know how long because it kind of evolved out of it. The first day I was on the radio, 
I was uh, doing the sports, started up doing the sports, and did it as Bill Murray's character from Caddyshack. I don't know what happened, you know, she run these bottom of the eighth and all of a sudden, you know, the wheels fall off, I think, you know. Should, uh, you know, should basically you're going to get out there tomorrow and trade again. You know, that's what you do in baseball. You you get up and you play them every day. That's, you know, I think it's no big deal to blow a three-run lead in ninth inning. I think it was awful. It was so bad. But that's that's how I started radio, was doing a Bill Murray impression. So Bill Murray's mission in Groundhog Day, right, is to figure out how, well, he thinks his mission is to get the girl. That's what he wants. He's in love with Rita. Well, he wants Rita. You know, he's just, he's a, he's a piece of work. So he's, he tries to bed down Rita. And eventually he falls in love with Rita and is trying to win Rita's heart. And, you know, it, in, the, in the effort of courting Rita, he's trying to play her. He's trying to figure out what she likes and what it's going to take to get in her pants, basically. Groundhog Day initially starts as Bill Murray's effort to get laid. Figures he's going to get stuck in this town, going to repeat the same day every day. He's going to figure out how to make the most of it. And that's why it takes so long to resolve. Because he's chasing the wrong thing. He's supposed to be chasing being a better person. But he's chasing tail. And that gets him nowhere. You know, and he tries to, he becomes stuck in this daily loop, right? And he can't get out. Nothing he does makes Groundhog Day end. You know, he tries to take his life in numerous ways. Tries to uh, electrocute himself with the toaster. Tries to, uh, jumps off the building, right? The whole face plant. They identify him in the morgue. Next day, put your little hand in mine. There ain't no hill or mountain we can't climb. Takes the truck off the uh, off the ravine with the groundhog. There have been college courses. There have been numerous studies and pontifications on the movie Groundhog Day, on what the message is, on how long he was stuck there. That's the ultimate question. How long was Bill Murray stuck? In Punxsutawney, on Groundhog Day. How many days in a row did he relive Groundhog Day? Now, if you just watch the movie yourself and you try to count the different times he wakes up, the different times he dies, the different days they show. They show 44 different days during the movie Groundhog Day. They show Bill Murray on 44 different different days. Stepping in the puddle, getting his foot wet. Ned Ryerson, punching him in the face once. One night he actually, you know, he bought whole life, term life, death and dismemberment, blah, blah, blah. I mean, he really, they, they, they cover all aspects of what it took to become Phil Connor from the first day where he's in Pittsburgh, has to go, get snowed in, to the last day where he's Phil Connor's piano master, ice sculpture carver, fixed Felix's back, 
You know, so he's an amateur chiropractor, right? Saved, uh, saved that guy's life from choking on his brother, by the way, it's Brian Doyle Murray. You know, first they blah, 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 to Toshevsky says, uh, long, that long, luxurious winter speech he gives, where every camera in town is watching Phil Connor give the Groundhog Day segment. I mean, he, he, he rises to the occasion, becomes the guy he has the potential to be. He realizes his potential. That's the ultimate goal of Groundhog Day for Phil Connors to realize what his life is capable of, who he's capable of as a person. It's deep. It's a deep movie. And I'm kind of weird about it. Hope you don't mind. So some of the skills Phil Connors mastered in Groundhog Day, right? Playing the piano. They say it takes 10,000 hours to become good at something, right? About 10,000 hours. 10,000 hours equates to, at one hour a day, it's 27 years, 10,000 hours. But let's say you really wanted to learn the piano. You were dedicated. So maybe you played three or four hours a day. That knocks it down to seven years. Same can be said for ice sculpting, right? 10,000 hours. I mean, that, that, that bust he makes of her at the end is, it's, it's, I mean, it's masterful. And he was also, remember, carving during the daily ice sculpting with a chainsaw. And chisels and stuff. I mean, he got good. The most in-depth... By the way, Harold Ramis, who wrote and directed Groundhog Day, he initially wrote in the first script, the first, the first draft of the movie, a line from, from Bill Murray, from, from uh, Phil Connors, to Andy McDowell, to Rita, to like, I've been waiting 10,000 years for you to love me. Like he'd been stuck there for 10,000 years or maybe just throwing the line away. But Harold Raymond said that just was too dark. That's too dark. 10,000 years stuck. That's, that's torture. And then he said, you know, given the fact that he didn't really try to learn for the longest time, he's figured about 10 years was Harold Ramis. He said in an interview, I think like in 2014, Experts have looked at this, people who know how long it takes to do this, learn how to do that, learn how to learn how to rob the bank, learn how to be at the right place to catch the kid out of three, whatever, whatever little to save the old guy in the alley, the old man, not today, Gramps, not today, right? To learn all the things he had to learn. 33 years and 350 days. That's the most scientifically researched and dedicated assessment of how long he was stuck in Punxsutawney, how long it took Bill Murray's character, Phil Connor, weatherman, to figure out that it wasn't about, you know, getting in, getting in Rita's, uh, you know, getting in her pants. It was about, you know, loving someone else other than himself, getting that person to love him, being the best version of himself. 33 years and 350 days in the same day. I think that's a f- one, of the, one of the greatest movies of all time. It was funny. We we're talking author, or excuse me, we we're talking uh, actors last night with Frank Summerall, right? And we we're talking about the movie stars. And will there ever be another, you know, box office king? And, and we've got quite a few great stars. We've got quite a few brilliant actors that we've been able to enjoy their careers. 
you know, we mentioned, you know, when will there be another Jimmy Stewart, another Humphrey Bogart, another John Wayne? And we've had Harrison Ford and we've, you know, some brilliant actors. We mentioned quite a few last night. But nobody mentioned Bill Murray. And comedy actors really don't don't rank in the way of great actors. When you talk about Oscars, comedies very rarely get nominated for Oscars. Comedians very rarely are considered great actors. Robin Williams was a brilliant comedian, but until he did Goodwill Hunting and a few other pieces that were serious pieces, he wasn't considered a great actor, right? Patch Adams, funny, but some great acting. Awakenings, great acting. Jim Carrey is a comedic actor, but until he did, uh, was it The Spotless Mind, right? Eternal Sunshine Eternal, of the Spotless Mind. Eternal Sunshine Spotless Mind. Until then, no one thought he thought much of him as an actor. So Bill Murray, you know, oh, what's the uh, Lost in Translation, right? Bill Murray's a comedian, comedic actor, great comedic actor from Stripes to Meatballs. So many great, Caddyshack, so many great comedic roles for Bill Murray. But until he did Lost in Translation, he wasn't considered a serious actor. I think Groundhog Day, while it is a comedy, right? It's a romantic comedy. I think the acting in Groundhog Day is superb because I'm, I've got a new mission and no longer abuse the word phenomenal. I overuse the word. I love the movie Groundhog Day. It's Groundhog Day today. That was my excuse for putting you guys through my little obsession with Groundhog Day and Bill Murray. If you could master one skill, Matt, one skill that you you don't have that would make you a better person. That's just, you know, playing the piano was a cool skill to pick up. Right? What did you ever want to do something and you, and you never dedicated the time? Quite honestly, no. I just wanted to do this well enough to be able to retire off it, and that looks like a lost cause at this point, so <laughs> screw it. Well, well, hold on. Hold on a second. We, we, can, we can visit that. How about the skill of picking good investments? Oh, dude, you are in a dark place right now, aren't you? Yeah, I know. But, uh, that's a, that's a per- we'll, we, we can talk about that if you want to. We don't have to. I don't want to expose your, your grief. We can but, talk about it later if you want. Yeah, that's yeah, fine. yeah. So uh, if you, so you'd like to become, you want to be, you've mentioned three times now, do this with enough money to retire, right? Become a better investor. So I, you know, I'm seeing a theme here, you know, finances are tough, man. The number one stress causer, the number one anxiety inducer are our financial situations. We all go through this from time to time. I know very, very few people who don't worry about their finances. Very few. You know, and those are the people I've known who have excelled at their career. They picked wisely. You know, a lot of that comes from the education that you get, the, the house you're brought up in. If your parents teach you the value of money to value money. My career is starting to resemble Groundhog Day. It just repeats <laughs> itself in a loop. No. Well, we do the same show every night. You're right. We do pretty much the same show every night. If you, So you're, the, skill you could, the skill that you don't have, because you do have – an incredible skill for what we do. You love music. You you know how to program music. You know you you're a, a, a great conversationalist. So you have the skills to do this. You just want to do 
And those skills are highly valued. Well, here we go again with the money. I know, but I know, buddy. I know, I know. Is there? There's nothing you wanted to learn, like a little kid. Did you want to learn how to fly a plane? Did you ever want to learn how to, you know, be a musician or paint, Not, r- ride I mean, horses, I, rodeo? I suppose if I could, maybe I would have been able to to be a good singer and be kind of a Morrissey-esque sort of figure. But okay. I always wanted to be more of a front man in a brooding sort of way and give the interviews more than I actually cared about cared singing. About the- <laughs> Like if somebody else could sing my songs and I could just do the PR, that would be great. Okay, I, I, that's fair. That's fair. I always wanted to learn to play the guitar, you know. But but I could have ne- learned to play the guitar. I could have learned to play them drums. <laughs> Look at that yo-yo. That's the way you do it. Um, I, I've owned like six guitars, and I know about six chords. <laughs> but I I never. I never dedicated, never took the time. Never That's de- four more chords than you need to play in a punk band. True. Well, it's like, I know I know three chords so I could play at least five dozen Eagles songs, right? <laughs> the same chords. <laughs> Hell, man, if you, all you need is two strings. You can be in the presence of the United States of America and play well, you know, make a ton of money. Eat millions of peaches. Happy Groundhog Day, everybody. I hope you had a good Thursday. We've got a lot of stuff to run by you tonight. Ah, forgot Ghostbusters. What about Bob? Great, great. Thank you very much there, Texters. Uh, if you want to chime in tonight, chime in with us. <clears throat> 888-973-5476 is the text line. We would love to hear from you. I'm Spike O'Neill. That's Matt Butler. And we'll dig deeply into to Matt's personal traumas and <laughs> his dark cloud. <laughs> we'll be right back after these. won't beat you over the head too hard with this. <laughs> I actually asked Matt to, can you grab that whole first break and just play the tape again just to mess with people? He looks at me like I've got squirrels coming out of my ears. Is that what they say with Ralphie? He looked at me like I had squirrels coming out of my ears. <laughs> A texter pointed out that when I said nobody else was in Groundhog Day, and it's, I mean, come on, it's, it's, it's Bill Murray and Andy McDowell. But... Stephen Tobolowski, who plays Ned Ryerson, Needle Nose Ned, Ned the Head, has, a, has had a pretty amazing career, too. Stephen Tobolowski, and he does something called the, uh, the Tobolowski Files, I think it is. He does kind of a, I don't know if it's a podcast now or if it was a, at one time, like a, 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 a syndicated show. He's had a pretty great career, too. But if somebody, uh, the texter says that Stephen Tobolowski, who played Ned Ryerson, uh, used to be a musician and, uh, you know, played played with Buddy Holly and was on like a tour circuit with Buddy Holly. And I mean, the guy's got a million stories. We we actually got to interview him once. I forget. I think he was he was doing Glee at the time. 
he had a like a reoccurring role on Glee. I think he was the former, or he was a Glee, a, 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 a Glee, te- a Glee club teacher. I forget what his story arc was on Glee, but he's a pretty amazing guy. But I promise we, we we may throw the song at you again, but that's the last I'll be ranting about Groundhog Day for the rest of the night, I promise. Or is it? <laughs> oh. Stories in the news today. Some of them are really encouraging, which is nice to hear. Some of them are kind of heartbreaking. A story of a, of a, a seventh, eighth grade basketball game in which a fight broke out. And somebody ended up dying, one of the adults from the crowd who got in a fight at a middle school basketball game. It's from Vermont, stories from Vermont. Then I don't mean to be, you know, stereotypical, but you would think that a, a story like that would happen in, you know, like a, a Philadelphia, in Los Angeles, Chicago, a big, you know, big urban city, you know, where, but Vermont... What do you fight about in Vermont? Maple syrup, right? right. Whose syrup is better, right? (laughs) You tap my tree there, neighbor, huh? No. Uh, Yeah, a middle school basketball game in which uh, a fight broke out amongst the adults in attendance. Multiple spectators involved in a large fight. And by the time State Patrol arrived... Uh, there were many people injured, and one gentleman uh, was had to be taken to a hospital, and he was pronounced he died. He was pronounced dead on arrival at the hospital. Over over youth sports, you know, I, I've got kids who both played sports, and I've seen parents who get just unruly at sporting events. It and usually you don't have to wait till they get to high school or middle school to do that. Most most parents who are trying to live vicariously through their kids' athletic endeavors and can be unreasonable from the stands, they don't wait till middle school. They start at T-ball. They start becoming ridiculously involved, over-involved at a very early age. They start on umpires. Parents who yell at umpires, I just, oh, I've got no time for that at all. So they're they're looking into this case in Vermont. This and it's a Alberg and St. Albans were playing, you know, at the Alberg Community Education Center. Troopers had to be called in for the huge fight involving multiple adults. The Grand Isle School District is We will destroy ourselves yeah. as a quote unquote civilization. You really are in a dark place right now. See, no, I, this, is an, this is an example. Yeah, no, I'm with you. This is I'm an example you. of the type of stuff that people have shown they can't get along with each other. It's getting worse. It's getting stupid. There's threats at school board meetings, fights at youth sports. Yeah, everybody yeah. wants to arm up and shoot everybody for every damn thing. We will not survive at this rate. You know, you 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 could be right, but I hope you're wrong. Obviously, we all hope you hope that's not the case. I am an eternal optimist. I'm almost like a flawed optimist. 
Sometimes I'm so damn optimistic that I can't even see the real troubles in my life or, you know, the real threats or worries that I need to for my family because I'm just, oh, it'll work itself out. It'll work itself out. I'm, a, I'm, I'm an optimist. I'm, I'm a painful optimist. And I'm married to a pessimist. So that works out just fine. You know, when, when you're in a relationship, when you're in a marriage, you really have to have people who complement each other but are, but are different people, have different baselines because that way you kind of, you work together and you find a nice rhythm. My wife and I have done that, but she is such a pessimist. She will, she's cynical. She will always expect the worst of people. And given your examples, Matt, she's probably, she's probably the one who's right here. I'm the one who thinks, you know what? We'll figure it all out. It's a phase we're going through. I really do think it's a phase we're going through. It's a phase that we've been going through in history and we never learn. Yeah. We do seem to be emboldened as as a nation. Ask the family of Tyree Nichols if oh. we've become more enlightened. Well, no. That and there are so many examples you could give too. You know, there are so many examples. George Floyd's family, you name it. There are there's too many examples of of us being the worst versions of ourselves. You know, we we. And and it's a lack of leadership. It really is at every level. It's a lack of leadership in our homes. It's a lack of leadership in our politics. But people don't want leaders because every time someone tries to lead, people go, "You can't tell me what to do." Yeah, that's true. Well, there's a lack of leaders in our media. That's a, you're right because what we have now in our media are people who are abusing their position and taking advantage of an audience for profit. Not for the purpose of informing a public, but for the purposes of building an audience and garnering reward. It's all about the treasure. Yeah, Walter Cronkite wouldn't have spread misinformation to have the worry about his numbers, his ratings. You know, those guys, they, they did it right. But, but to be fair, that's presentism, what I'm doing now. I'm judging the past by, or judging today by the past standards. Can't do that. You know, you can't because we, we expect different things from our media now. We've been taught to expect less from our media now. And you're right. You know, we, we victim shame. We victim blame. I mean, parents feel the, feel the emboldened and, and they feel that they've got a right to yell, first yell at a coach, yell at an umpire, yell at the opposing team's fans, yell at other parents. Take it, make it physical. You know, used to be society had these rules and guidelines and we would police ourselves, you know, not in the broader sense, the broader term. Like I said, there, there are good news stories. You know, there are. It's not all bad news. I do try to find the optimistic. I mean, I'll give you an example. We, we run daily um, promos here at Cairo, Right about the news about we, we feature our our news segments and today I heard Colleen O'Brien talking about the 113 animals all of which were saved at the doggy daycare center on Lake City Way when a fire broke out how the neighbors rallied the neighboring businesses uh, you know closed their their gates and fences and took these dogs in from a burning building and when that's the lead story that's the promo story on the number one news channel in town, is that all the dogs at the doggy daycare fire are fine? That's a pretty good town. 
You know, everybody says Seattle's an asshole and Seattle's going to gar- it's garbage now. It's not the city it used to be. We still have some good days in this town. We still have some good news stories in this town. And every once in a while, sure, a bunch of parents lose their mind and beat each other up at a youth basketball game. And I think there's more of us that care about each other than not. I think there's more of us that know the right thing to do than not. And maybe I'm naive. Maybe I'm ridiculously optimistic. Maybe Matt and my wife are right. We are. We're going off a cliff. <laughs> Cannibalism is on the way in 30 years. Mark my words. Then learn how to cook, my friend. Find the silver lining of that spleen you're about to eat. Learn how to sauce that thing up and season it just right. <laughs> it's Cairo Nights. We'll be right back. You know, I try to be optimistic, Matt, but I've been reading the textures, man. You're winning. It's almost a landslide. I'm looking for a... By the way, welcome back to Cairo Nights. I'm Spike O'Neill along with Matt Butler. And we're trying to find out, you know, the find the, 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 the balance between optimism and pessimism, right? Between, between diverging viewpoints. I'm afraid of America. So I'm trying to... <laughs> I'm trying to find a nice cheery story to show Matt that, you know, uh, it's not all loss. It's not all hopeless. What do I come up with? The latest trend in Japan is licking things on the cons- the sushi conveyor belt and putting them back. Dear God! Yeah, seriously, that's the latest the latest uh, social media, you know, TikTok, I guess, trend in in Japan in Tokyo. It's over. A, a to- it's over. <laughs> Tokyo, Tokyo is a culture known, or Japan, a culture known for its politeness, its civility, its hygiene, right? The latest trend on social media in Japan are people seriously licking communal soy bottles, soy sauce bottles, and uh, spitting on other people's sushi rolls, putting them back on the conveyor belt, and then smiling and laughing into the camera. This is the latest this week's trend on social media in Japan. It's called Sushi Tero, short for Sushi Terrorism. Millions and millions of views. Jeez. <laughs> People, oh, you know, that's like the, the the TikTok trend on how to steal a car. Now the TikTok trend is spitting in food and put it back on a conveyor belt. The The biggest restaurant in Japan is a, is a you know, you know, the conveyor belt sushi places, right? We used to have, I think it was Blue Sea Sushi out here in the Northwest. I think they've all closed down, but there there's other ones that do the same type of thing. It's uh you know the 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 the, the restaurants, um, literally there's a conveyor belt that weaves its way through the restaurant around the booths and the counters, and you grab your food as it goes by. It's a pretty neat way to to do this. I my daughters and I love this place because you know a waiter will come and give you uh, your drinks and make sure you you have everything you need, and at the end of the night they total up the number of orders you ate and give you a bill. It's great. And Sushiro is the largest of these chains in Tokyo. Their stock has fallen by 5% in the last week. They've lost $125 million in value because teenagers in Tokyo 
are losing their mind. Part of the whole, you know, sushi tero. And I hope I don't mean, I hope that wasn't too disrespectful. Sushi terrorism. Matt, you're right. People just have lost their flipping minds. And they weren't working with much to begin with. Seriously. This, <laughs> you know, isn't isn't being a good person cool anymore? I mean, am I that old? Am I that What naive? switch gets flipped in people's minds where they go, oh, I see this dumb, unhygienic thing on the internet. I am going to go forth and do thou likewise. I mean... <sighs> Yeah, it's all about clicks, right? That's that's why they're doing it on social media, to garner a following on social media. It's about, you know, uh, it's your ego. It's about your, your status, taking pride in doing something nasty to other people. How about clicks for doing? Why don't we click on good things? Why don't we post a TikTok trend of walking old ladies across the street? You know, doesn't get the clicks. Doesn't get the same same no, eyeballs. We we do love if it bleeds, it leads. I blame I blame Tucker Carlson for this latest grace. Eerily, that was the name that I was just <laughs> thinking really? of. The the, uh, you know, the dystopian parade of you are being replaced. Everybody is out to kill you. Yes, serious. You know, seriously, you're not wrong there, man. That, that's the root. Fear is the greatest motivator. You know, whether it's in sales, it's fear of loss. You know, fear of missing out. Uh, you know, fear of being replaced. Fear of your way of life being being uh, taken away. You know, fear of your country not being the country you were raised in. You know why your country's not the country you were raised in? Because you're licking sushi and putting it back on the conveyor belt. Because <laughs> you're making TikTok videos about how to steal somebody's car. You know, that's why your country's not the country it was before. It's not because somebody came here from another country and wanted to work harder than you do for less money. That's not what That's not what makes your country not great. What makes your country not great is you not being civil enough to tell the guy at the ball game who's yelling at the umpire or the opposing coach to sit the hell down and shut the hell up. You want to make this country great again, have some civility toward your fellow citizen. Have some some morality and respect for public places and the people around you. You don't have the freedom to be a, a butthead. I mean, you do, but maybe don't exercise that freedom. We, we do. We seem, we seem to fight for our right to be stupid. We seem to fight for our right to be the worst version of ourselves. And how is that making this country great? Come on. You all know better than that. Yeah, I'm preachy. I was hoping to go out and get sushi. I'm not going near a sushi place now, man. Oh, I love a good sushi place. You know, there's a place over in Bellevue. I think it's called Sushi Me. They've got a conveyor belt. And it goes through and they make phenomenal sushi. It's great. You walk in, you can sit down, you can eat lunch in 10 minutes by yourself, get out the door. And I guarantee you, the staff over there at Bellevue at Sushi Me, another free plug, remember me when I come in? I guarantee you, if the staff sees somebody messing with the belt, it's black belt time. The crew that works there, they don't monkey around, man. Do not touch. Do not touch my sushi's belt. Do not touch my conveyor belt sushi. Come on, people. Be better. Be better. It's Cairo Knights. Matt Butler, the eternal optimist, Spike O'Neill, man without hope. (laughs) We'll be right back after these.